This is Doing Good Through Food. I'm Alex Coffin, and my guest today is Amelia Stewart. Amelia is a culinary consultant and a food and travel writer who currently splits her time between Oxford and London. She worked for the World Food Programme, which is the food aid arm of the UN, for five years before she took a break from work to study for a master's in international law. And it was while she was studying that she founded her company, Cook First. Um, During her time with the World Food Programme, she'd experienced firsthand how a nutritious diet is vital to leading a healthy and active life. Um, She realised that cooking can be a positive and empowering thing and that learning to cook can change a person's life for the better. Cook First provides consultancy for catering businesses and workshops for individuals to show how to create wholesome, nourishing meals and to become mindful of what you eat. The company also places a huge emphasis on teaching people how to minimise food waste and make the most out of the food they buy. Um, Amelia believes that food is one of the best ways to build friendships and relationships. As she puts it, how better to nourish friendships than through conviviality and conversation over a delicious, nutritious meal. But you need to know how to cook first which I completely agree with, and I'm very, very happy to have her on the show to talk about all of all of the things that she's doing. Amelia, welcome to Doing Good Through Food. Thank you very much for the fantastic introduction. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome, and thank you for coming. It's um, There's loads to talk about, and I, I I want to get into as much of that as possible while we're here. I thought, just just right at the outset, though, I might ask you, the uh, in the introduction, I said it was while you were doing... You were studying international law. You were in the World Food Programme and you went to study international law and then then sort of started Cook First. But what was the law degree? What were you, what were you thinking when you got into that? What did, you, what did you think you might do with it when you started? And my... Well, while I was working for the World Food Programme, my uh, the, the longest stint I did in the field um, before I took my year out was actually in West Africa as part of the Ebola response. Um, and uh, I became so... I suppose frustrated with the the fact that the had the healthcare standards have been been higher in these countries when um, the outbreak happened, I am confident that it wouldn't have been such a you know such devastation. Mm-hmm. So um, so through that, I became very interested in, in international health law, international health regulations, that kind of thing, and um, I used my masters to use as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, to investigate really why this concept of a right to health, a right to health care, sort of human rights and health and law and things that we sort of take things, for granted. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Uh, so that, that's why. And then it was during that time that, um, so I was living in London again um, and, uh, and a student again. Um, but this time in a completely different uh, capacity because uh, I knew how to cook a bit better. Yeah. Um, so I was better at fending for myself. Also, my whole diet had changed uh, dramatically um, because I hadn't been very well. Um, I was stationed in Nepal for a while and I got a terrible stomach virus. So I changed my diet quite dramatically. Um, and then I, but I used that and I tried to encourage other people that have been through the same thing to use that as a, an opportunity to explore other types of um, other ways of eating other more interesting foods and not see it as a, a burden, which it can sometimes seem. Um, and then, yes, so I started doing cook first because well, I love cooking. <laughs> and uh, I had lots of friends who um, I would go to their houses for, for dinner. <laughs> and it would just, they would try so hard to make something absolutely wonderful. And it would be a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just very interesting to see how, it was a combination of two things. One, lots of, there were so many health fads and things going around. Um, people deciding that it was very trendy to be gluten-free, but not really understanding what that meant. Um, and then this, and as we're still experiencing now, this big drive for everyone to be healthier generally. 
Um, and so there was so that, that component of it. It seemed to me that the people that were promoting that, um, the various bloggers and influencers out there, um, were all were coming from a very privileged place. <laughs> and so they had the means and um, sort of educational background as well to be able to make informed choices about what they eat and uh, the, the money to then buy all these superfoods and things that are imported from um, various places around the world. So, you know, anyways, so... I wanted to make a healthy lifestyle and healthy eating manageable and accessible for mm. your everyday person and take the stress out of it as well. You know, the idea that actually a jacket sweet potato with some avocado and maybe a fried egg and some salad is actually very wholesome and nutritious, you know, maybe snack or meal or whatever, but it's just very simple and easy. Mm. And, um, doesn't require a lot of skill <laughs> and so and so hence cook first was born and that's that's sort of where the, the journey yeah. of it came from yes exactly mm. so from my friends first and then through um other experiences of um meeting various people who said that they lack the confidence to cook and it just ruins everything mm. and i wanted to change that so you said the, the the kind of the cook first concept is about empowering people um, yeah you know to be kitchen confident i think was was the word you used so what when you say that, what does that really mean for you? Well, um, people, a lot of people I know have done you know, Le Cordon Bleu or been to these wonderful cookery schools um, that are out there and, uh, and learned how to make fantastic food with, you know, a whole amazing equipment and beautiful kitchens, you know, and learned, you know, umpteen types of you know, knife skill and that kind of thing. But then that never actually, in my experience, they never actually then apply that to real life. It's almost too advanced and too... I was then, you know, as a student, living in this you know, tiny flat with a tiny kitchen and having very limited you know, equipment, cutlery, sort of a saucepan, and using that as a bowl, and then deciding that, you know, actually... So being kitchen confident for me was feeling like I could go to the supermarket, find and just see what was in the reduced section and then think, well, do you know what? Actually, it's, it doesn't, you know, I can create anything with this. It's an exciting opportunity. And then through that, I found that it made me feel empowered in other areas of my life. Mm. That makes sense. So that's that what makes, I try yeah, to get that across. Makes, that makes sense. <laughs> so when, when someone comes to you, when you first sort of meet somebody, if they've got, you know, let's say no, no kind of kitchen ability whatsoever, what, what are the first sort of things that you try to... Well, how would it, what would it look like? What would be the first sort of thing you looked for in somebody or you tried to teach them? Um, well, I do a sort of consultation at the beginning to mm. see what your, your goals and your aims are, mm. let's say. Because a lot of people I worked with initially um, had lots of specific dietary requirements. So they found out they were lactose intolerant, but, you know, loved everything to do with cream and wanted to figure out how they could still, you know, enjoy a certain, I don't know, way of eating or, or go out for dinner and not be that person that has to ask for everything, you know, changed on them, like on the menu. Um, so there's those, those types of people, but also, um, one of my first clients was a recently divorced man who uh, he had been married for 35 years. It was his first time living on his own for all this time. And uh, he'd been completely de-skilled, as so often happens in um, couple relationships, um, where one person takes care of one side of the, you know, of life and the other person the other. And he just never went into the kitchen, ever. That was his wife's domain and that's how it stayed for 35 years. And so he found himself 
on his own, having no idea how to even sort of, I suppose, fry an egg. Well, not fry an egg, but this idea, not yeah. make a nutritious meal. Um, and his children were coming to visit him and he didn't want to be dad that orders pizza. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be able to cook something lovely and make them proud of him. And that was just, you know, that he's able to manage on his own. And it's that's, that's also the side of being kitchen confident. Mm-hmm. It's that you be able to sort of demonstrate to somebody how much you love them and that you've, you've kind of got it together. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> um, in his case, so two what, types of what was the first sort of thing that you you kind of look to do with him I mean do you do you start you kind of mentioned skills before you know you people go on these courses and learn fantastic life skills and whatever else they might learn techniques and things do you do you sort of start with basic versions of that do you do you sort of pick a recipe yeah does it depend it it just yeah it still really depend but um this particular client I mean, I I went through all the stuff that he already had in his, all the equipment he had and all the um, things he had in his cupboards, let's say, and said, and sort of gave him a little mini quiz as to what do you think we could make with this? And and, uh, so we ended up fashioning some kind of, you know, a nutritious soup and then some stews. But then um, I also took him to the supermarket and helped him shop and things like buying, I mean, if you go and buy tons of vegetables in bulk, what can you do with that? How can you also pre sort of plan what you're going to make for the rest of the week? So things like simple sort of Mediterranean roasted vegetables and a roast chicken. That's a, a, a kind of a roast is what people always want to be able to cook, cook first. <laughs> and uh, all things like um, birthday cakes, that's another big one. So if people can make a, you know, a birthday cake for a loved one, that's also... So yeah, yeah, exactly. So it just really depends, actually, um, on who the the person is who I'm teaching. But that's the general. That's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. So when (laughs) when you've worked with somebody for a little bit, I was, um, you know, once they've got basic skills, where do you take it from there? How do you? I suppose for me, kind of confidence in the kitchen might it might be sort of a willingness to step away from recipes a little bit might be you know to to sort of play and to kind of to taste things and to to sort of engage with it that way do you do you have particular is that something you look to try and encourage in people and and how do you do it how do you oh that's a good I find that actually the more I mean this sounds silly but the more confident you are Mm. the the less um the less you ask questions as in of, or even of yourself and you just kind of go with the flow. It's mm. that. And, and I find it interestingly, when I, when I go home and I'm in my mother's kitchen, even though I feel like I'm a pretty confident cook, when I am in that kitchen, in that space, and with her, who's such an expert and makes everything from scratch, I immediately default every minor decision to her, every question. And, and it's very interesting to see the, the dynamic of how... I suddenly lose all my confidence because I'm with somebody who's much more, who's much better at cooking than I am. Mm. Um, it's a bit like, I suppose, when I was at school and playing tennis, you were always encouraged to play with tennis, play tennis with someone who was better than you, let's say, because that will always like elevate your skills. Um, so for, but in, in terms of, I suppose I just try to, I suppose I just try to be that encouraging person that's mm. there sort of helping you helping you along and then so then eventually you get to the stage where you can you stop asking you know or watch what goes with what mm. and it's just instinctive or you think well why don't we just experiment and it doesn't matter if it doesn't turn out well because you know 
no one's going to be poisoned and it's going to be delicious, whatever, you know, and it's all, it's all a learning process. Um, and it's interesting when you said, <clears throat> you know, sort of playing tennis with somebody who's better than you, it's mm-hmm. kind of, you do want to play whatever, whatever kind of game it is, you know, or activity, you want to do it with somebody who's better than you, but not so much better than you, you that yeah. you can't understand that, or there's no game there, you yeah. know, so if someone, if some, I imagine it's kind of just pushing them a, enough, you know, kind of giving them enough without yeah. making them shut down, like... At your arms. Sure. But, and I mean, and, and the other thing is, is that I, I market myself as, I'm not a chef. I have no professional culinary training whatsoever. I'm completely self-taught. And so I think cook is much less intimidating. Mm. And so that's what I hope to, to achieve as well, is that maybe we'll feel like we can be on the same level and kind of relax into it. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you, do you th- find there are is there a sort of I might be I'm sort of answering the question in my head already but is, is there a kind of typical um reason you know it, that somebody would come to you not able to cook or not wanting to cook I mean you you know you gave the example of your recently divorced man I mean obviously people come from all sorts of backgrounds but are, are there kind of similar are there common threads um, this, the drive to be healthier is, is the classic one. Right. That's the one that people say, I, I want to eat better, but I don't know how. Mm. Or I want to eat better, but I can't afford it. Mm. So that's my... And, and I often find it's people of, of my age, sort of, yeah, around 30, that are those people, really. Mm. Um, and then... Because, I mean, because to be honest, at I was never taught any kind of cooking skills I was very fortunate to have a, a mother that you know was a fantastic cook and then we um we all went to boarding school so we just never even I wound up sort of at university eating vegetables out of tins and having no idea and actually it was only until I had a, a boyfriend who said you know I can't believe you don't know how to cook that I had this terrible sort of you know, it was well, this lack of confidence and everything but then also this you know need to impress him and that's when I started to think of more about yeah trying to cook but then also I suppose the people now are so conscious of what they ingest whether you know with the whole movement of veganism now and this conscious led cuisine that we're all experiencing and the the drive to be more sustainable which is which is all wonderful um but so with that I also try and encourage people to um to be mindful of what they're eating but not give in to fads because it's just it's overwhelming um, how much misinformation is, is out there. Um, I was just thinking, have you ever had um, kind of a resistant student? You know, do you, I imagine when people come to you, they, they already, they want to do, they want to learn. They're coming to you because they want to be there. But do you, I mean, have you ever had someone, have you had yet somebody who's been bought a, a course or something like that? Someone who's, who's not not engaged and doesn't want to learn. I mean, is, is that... I, I I'm told, not that's a necessary first step. You must want to do it for some reason. Yeah. I have lots of people that are very resistant to change their what they think is the best diet for them. Right. That's the big thing. Okay. Um, I had some clients in Thailand, actually, who uh, decided that it was just better for them through no real proof that they would just give up dairy. And they made their children do the same. And... Everyone's different. Every diet, well, you know, everyone's completely unique. Um, I try not to preach any type of, you know, diet at all. But, um, but I think that unless you are, I mean, 
it was so anyway, so it became very difficult to try and teach her certain foods that I thought perhaps, especially for her children. And, uh, and in Thailand in particular, um, if you don't have dairy milk, then um, the other alternative is soy. And there's lots of, um, well, soy, unless it's very sort of organic, there are, I mean, people get very nervous about it being genetically modified and what it really does. And I mean, boosting estrogen levels unnecessarily. So, I, I mean, I lean towards encouraging people to just eat things that are as natural as possible and mm. anyway whatever works for you but so yes in terms of resistance it's normally people that have have read something or think that this is the best diet for them and are very stubborn at changing mm. or yeah or learning something new or even just being i don't know open to the idea that maybe cutting out wheat completely wouldn't be the best idea. <laughs> yeah, I guess people do kind of, you, you pick up ideas, don't you, sort of, the, what, what's yeah. uh, the, the thing of the moment. But, Absolutely. And yeah, today it will say that coconut oil's, you know, terrible for you. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the BBC had an article saying that it was fantastic. So it's it's exhausting yeah, in a way. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it is. I think there's a lot of kind of, like you sort of touched on, there's a lot of people with, an, with a reason to find a new thing you know yeah. sort of uh, influences or whatever else you want you know whoever else yeah. it might be but I was saying to a friend last night that it, it's almost become a way of defining yourself mm. if you, you know, everyone has to be you know allergic to something or given up something or it's a way of, in this in this world of kind of obsessive individuality it's a way of setting yourself apart you know so I try and promote that you know just wholesome nutritious delicious mm. Well, whatever that Trying might be. Trying to make it a kind of ism, just yeah, yeah. absolutely, and and also I, I really um, I really resent this uh, uh, the marketing of free from because I think that's such a negative way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. It's um, yeah, my parents always say, "Oh, is it free from fun," <laughs> which is yeah, yes. yeah quite yeah. funny. <laughs> I was just um, I was really interested when you you know you, you've done this this work um, consultancy and work with people in different places. So you were saying you know in Thailand, you, I think I think Southeast Asia predominantly. From what yeah. You, what you said, but but over there and and here, and I was wondering if the, if there's sort of particular differences in the. I mean, obviously there are cultural differences between the two places um, and and the the populations, but with regards to the sort of the food culture and the kind of the the attitude to, particularly towards cooking of food you know and the kind of knowledge that's passed on the kind of the expectations I mean how different is that for one and, and what 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 things do you do you so see different, it must yeah. be, yeah. <laughs> um well for, for one thing people my my biggest challenge actually in Thailand was uh, no one has an oven and no one cooks at home really um, Those are two quite big, yeah, big challenges. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, mostly because um, food is incredibly cheap and readily available, and people just you you pick up food on the way home, and um, or you, it's one of these things. I always was amazed at how um, how. Um, how how small and thin Thai people are because they eat all the time, nonstop. I mean, everybody's just munching away at all hours of the day um, because there are these wonderful, you know, um, food stalls everywhere and um, there'll there'll always be somebody with a wok on the side of the road, you know, and you can just, that's what I mean, food is so cheap and readily available. And so there's no real incentive to cook at home. Um, And of course, because it's absolutely boiling there for, you know, 
11 months of the year. Um, so the idea of having a kind of, there's no slow cooking culture because there's no need to be warmer <laughs> like we have here. Um, but then so what I try to do instead is lean towards things, I mean, teaching more like um, raw food, for example, is now becoming very trendy there. Um, so the things that you would be able to prepare at home, because and actually what was on my side is that all the food that you buy outside is full of sugar. I mean, beyond, you can go to a, a cafe and uh, get up to 75% uh, sugar in your coffee. So you have to always ask for no sugar as just as a rule. Um, yeah. So whether you are having an omelette or your, you know, papaya salad, they'll always put palm sugar and probably some kind of other cane sugar inside. I wonder why. Is that, it's just a, it's, just a cultural thing. It's, it's just... about balancing the taste, uh, the, the flavour. So, um, um, if you if you're into sort of unami where you have the the five uh, well flavors of I think it was sweet salt spicy sour what was the other one bitter mm. um, then in order to achieve that perfect balance of flavor you have to have the sugar mm. so in a lot of Southeast Asian cooking they put a lot of sugar in in all the savory dishes um, but Thailand Thai people are, are really really into their sugar. Mm. Um, but then people are now slowly realizing that, you know, ultimately diabetes is rife there and it's, you know, ingesting that much sugar on a daily basis and good for your health. Um, so there is, people are trying to cut it out and therefore there is more of a drive to cook at home and see what you're putting into your body. And that's when I, actually the majority of people I taught there was to teach them how to make a healthy breakfast. Okay. Things like introducing them to things like oats. <laughs> which uh, obviously are yeah, I mean, so normal here, but there, they're, um, I suppose most of them are imported as well. But it's just this idea that you can eat that kind of good you know, fibre, carbohydrates that will keep you fuller for longer, stop you having sugar cravings. <laughs> um, yeah. So, just so it's sim- quite a simple thing as well. Yeah, it? very yeah. simple. Um, but again, yeah, it's uh, it's a completely different food culture. <laughs> now the other, yeah, the other side of the sort of cook first uh, equation, or it seemed like you know you've got the, the sort of skills and the kind of learning to cook on the one hand, and um, food waste on the other. So sort of doing good things with, or do, making the most of the things that you have. And um, I, I suppose I just wanted to kind of get into that generally. I mean, where where do you start with somebody? Say if if you're doing a kind of a, a workshop or a kind of a, per, a one-to-one thing rather than a business kind of consultation how do you how do you sort of start someone thinking about how, using their food fully uh, well, as in as in to prevent them from throwing them away as, well, yeah, or... I mean, do you does it sort of literally start with kind of looking at what's in their fridge and what you could make from that is that yeah is, is that, that kind of that, where people yeah that's people often kind of the to, yeah hmm. that's yeah often the way forward i was thinking actually about a um a client i had who um he was uh his mum still did all his shopping for him and she would buy food that she thought that he would like to eat but he had um he i had a fear of touching raw meat and this kind of thing so there was all this chicken breast just oh it gives me such pain to say just sitting in the freezer that i'm sorry in the fridge it just completely went off and so it's it's little things like teaching him that he could well touch it and everything would be okay and showing him how to handle those things and making him feel comfortable but also that you can freeze so much stuff people don't use their freezers enough 
it's I always try and encourage people to if you are worried about if you know if money's an issue make something in bulk freeze half of it and you know or if you end if you end up in the reduced section of the supermarket and there is things you know things that uh, are going off today and you don't have time to eat it or then just put it in your freezer if it's freezeable fantastic and then you've got you know you're sorted for the rest of the week as it were so and then little things like um what to do with fruit that's going rotten and teaching people to you know compost or how they can get involved in places that you know do compost and yeah are, are there kind of particular recipes you know for like a using up things in your fridge this recipe you could put anything in this is there sort of are there particular recipes that you teach people to just have in their back pocket and well actually well interestingly when i was in thailand um because again in terms of food waste uh, it's a completely different culture there isn't the sense of recycling and uh, yeah and, and reducing food waste at all uh, like we have here um and everywhere you go, of course, everyone ever eats rice as a staple food. Um, and there's always so much rice left over. So I created a recipe that is a cake, a chocolate cake that uses steamed rice in place of flour. Which sounds a bit strange, but actually in place of flour and in place of um, oil as well. So all you need is, um, is cocoa powder and um, sugar. And um, in this case, I, I used, this is another thing, so it uses uh, a whole orange. So actually, if you, <laughs> it sounds a bit strange, but if you boil down an orange um, to make it a bit softer, you can basically blitz the entire fruit, pith and everything, remove the stones or the seeds, um, and then use that as a, whole, as a sort of fibrous um, entity and also amazing flavour from the zest and the skin um, to hold this cake together. So this was a cake made of an entire, like a, a non, an entire orange, so nothing's wasted there, plus leftover rice, steamed rice, cocoa powder, eggs, and yeah, that, that's it really. And it sounds a bit strange, but actually really delicious. And if you if you blend it well enough to create a sort of paste before you, as, as part of the batter, you can't taste the rice at all. I mean, it's not even... And if you can taste it a little bit, it yields a kind of nutty texture. So it's as if you had nuts in there. So it's that kind of thing that I think... It's very strange, but like, but it's kind of fun and creative, a bit wacky. And then if you watch people eat it and then say, guess a good ingredient and to, you know... See how they're so shocked when it's got rice inside. Mm. <laughs> I imagine that that's kind of quite eye-opening for people yeah, if they haven't really absolutely. Uh, played around with food. You know, that, I mean, that's I've not heard of rice yeah. beans in a cake, and that's you know that's news to me. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I suppose my kind of stock recipe for doing that kind of thing is risotto. So some sure. kind of risotto. I'll, yeah. I'll just you know, if I guess things like that, if you can kind of teach a basic. A basic recipe or how to kind of cook pasta and you know that any any one of these ingredients can be swapped swapped out for anything absolutely, else absolutely yeah i guess is that is that something that people know generally no that's the thing so one thing i also try and teach is that you know exactly you, you teach someone a, a basic recipe but then i really encourage to and i say actually in a lot of my recipes on my website if you don't have i don't know sultanas it doesn't matter because you can use umpteen amounts of dry fruits and and actually, this was my well reaction to a lot of the things I'd already read. I mean, bloggers out there and people doing similar things to me, um, where people have written comments underneath, you know, I don't have ground almonds, can I use another nut? And then they did a reply saying, no, it has to be this. And that for me is so, you don't want to make it excluding. <laughs> the whole purpose is it's supposed to be, you know, what works for you and what you have on to hand and... You don't want to end up with a cupboard full of half-used things Right, as well. right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
So. Does it, is it a very different process when you go into a business? So if you've got, you know, you've got kind of, you're teaching, teaching somebody who doesn't know about food, yeah. you know, I, I think we kind of, that, that sort of makes sense. There's, there's a way of maybe doing that. But if you're going into a business where you are, you know, you're dealing with chefs who maybe haven't had this focus, but they are, you know, they're trained chefs. It must be a very different process. Yeah. How, how do you, how do you sort of begin that? Do you? Uh, well, for, for one thing, and um, I'm always only uh, the only woman, <laughs> so people often find that quite challenging as well. Um, especially, yeah, when I was in Southeast Asia, I was part of this um, event called the Sustainable Chef Challenge, and they I was very flattered to be asked to be part of it, but I was basically there as the token woman um, <laughs> doing the dessert. Um, we were cooking up a, a meal from surplus food, and they'd... Um, uh, got lots of the the top chefs in the city to come and cook bits and pieces and um and it was great fun but uh so that, that's one thing that often um that's a bit of the first challenge <laughs> um but also yes absolutely trying to teach someone who is an expert in their field is you know something a bit different or a different way of looking at what they already do is is always really hard um but uh but the thing is is that i think that once you once you break down those barriers and people Another way of going into it, I, I always try and demonstrate how much money they'll save <laughs> if they are more sustainable and if they are. Yeah, absolutely. That always works using more local ingredients. Um, because again, people, uh, chefs I work with in the past are very resistant to, I mean, they see allergy, sometimes not, not all, of course, but some see allergy, food allergies as more of a sort of fad or people being difficult. <laughs> um, and so a way of, of my... Well, I suppose bonding with them is to show them that actually you can you can deal with cross contamination issues, you can deal with food allergies, you can deal with people's dietary preferences relatively easily if you just know how, and not see it as you know an extra kind of something difficult, but just see it as you know this is the way that the the world is moving, and if you want to grow your business, that's you've got to get on board. So, one of the things I've always found quite it uh, gets quite a good reaction is, is sort of working through uh, sort of menu what you I suppose you call menu engineering but kind of with a lot of chefs who are you know perhaps excellent very highly skilled chefs might not have had the sort of training or got into sort of designing a menu to to use a smaller amount or smaller number of ingredients across a menu and sort of how, how yes. to think about it in in that sort of way is, is that something that you ever work with with yeah. them about that. I mean sorry to, to go back to rice again but um just in uh, in Thailand I um I was teaching people that yeah rice is rice flour is a gluten-free flour and they said oh my god I didn't I didn't even think about it yeah of course I mean gosh rice flour is the most easily available thing we could possibly ever have in Thailand and we can just use that as our replacement you know for wheat perfect it's these kind of small don't make the, the connections yeah, and yeah, talking to people across the menu. That's that's really interesting. Well, is it, I've always sort of found that if you can kind of if you can give choice to customers without, you know, having the impression of choice or mm. genuinely give choice, but without having kitchens kind of oh. overflowing with ingredients and sort of you know what we tended to call orphan products, so things that are only used in one thing and never never yes, anywhere else. Yes. That that kind of way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. That that can. That's quite often the thing that sinks new food startups because they, they sort of want to do everything, yeah. but don't 
don't sort of think through it in that way. So. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big advert for, for um, sticking to a few things and doing them all brilliantly rather than trying to have 50 different cuisines in one Bible menu. Yeah. <laughs> you sort of talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but I'd really... I'd love to sort of ask you a bit about this kind of journey into mindful eating. I think I think I sort of saw it written about at some point. And you, um, I was going to ask you sort of what prompted it, and I think you sort of said there was a health there was a health sort of reason. But yeah. I was wondering, is that right? Is that sort of where it started? And kind of what what have you learned? How what's the journey been like? Um, well, I. I was, a, I mean, I, I still am a huge, five, massive sweet tooth. I love chocolate, and, but I mean, dark chocolate. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I love cake. And when I, when I um, had got over my stomach parasite and things and um, had all these difficult digestive issues um, that was really sort of um, aggravated by wheat and things mm-hmm. and realising that I couldn't just buy a sandwich like you know any normal person and I don't know if I'm running late for a train or something you know that kind of thing made me feel quite down um initially but so I tried to see it as actually an opportunity to to explore a whole different area of or a whole different way of eating and being um and then actually there are so many wonderful foods and different flowers out there I mean for example um Ethiopian cuisine the injera the the flatbread they eat is made from teff which is actually a wheat-free flour and it's absolutely delicious and so it's that kind of thing so I saw it as a way of an opportunity I suppose as a you know to investigate other types of cuisine and um well, I, I lived in uh, Rome at the time, actually, and uh, as you can imagine, suddenly not having uh, pizza and pasta uh, would be quite tragic. <laughs> um, but then it meant that um, what was so wonderful is I'd be in restaurants and then say to you know, the the um, the maitre d' that I, I you know is there anything else that's senza glutine uh, without gluten on the menu, and they say, oh, well, you know, we'll fashion you this absolutely wonderful, you know, polenta con ragu and all this. So then I suddenly became the person that everybody wanted to be when I go out for dinner because I get a special meal and it was just great. And so things like polenta that I never ate before, I'd now eat a lot, and yeah. So it's um, so, and then I, and then I, I suppose, it became more mindful in the sense that. Uh, I actually felt so much better in myself from eating fewer, um, well, processed foods, basically. And then through that, I enjoyed cooking for myself because I saw it as, you know, something fun and, you know, always a bit of a challenge at the beginning. But then feeling more confident doing it and, and, and yeah, just, just generally... I felt so much better in myself. I did. I did start to lead a much more um, active lifestyle as well. So that obviously really helped things. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's that's when my sort of mindful eating started. I, I, I must admit, when I came back to London um, after um, I did my masters again, I did join. You know the the kind of it was called class pass as a fitness app and I was definitely on the kind of fitness bandwagon um, and going to all the kind of superfood places and. But I hope that I wasn't doing that for too long. <laughs> and then I sort of saw sense. <laughs> and, um, but yes, but just, I mean, I was also very lucky growing up because if we ever had something like pasta for supper, we were only ever allowed to have pasta if we had sort of umpteen vegetables with it. So we used to always make a, a game of it when we were little, that if we ever had a roast dinner, it was, you know, count how many vegetables are on the plate. And and I really believe that, I mean, that that for me helped so much if you... 
if you're fortunate enough to have that kind of upbringing where from a very, very young age you're, you're introduced to a healthier way of eating, I think it makes all the difference later on. And that's something that I'd really like to work on as well as the sort of next cook first move. And I, I, I said earlier that I'd been to this place called Charlton Manor Primary yeah. yesterday, um, which is an amazing school actually in um, Charlton near Greenwich. Um, and they have this amazing food ethos where they incorporate um, cooking lessons into lots of the sort of the curriculum. So if their children are learning maths or science, they'll um, craft a cooking lesson around that, um, teaching them, um, for example, they, <laughs> they're doing uh, the year threes I was teaching yesterday. Um, they're studying geography in Italy as part of their geography lesson. So they learn how to make pizza and, and a bit of an Italian language thrown in. And, mm. and it's just to see how engaged they are. And also, I have to say, you know, all of them are a fantastic shape. There's not a single overweight child in the entire school, which is, I mean, now with all the, you know, the rate of childhood obesity and this huge worry that we're, we're facing, I mean, it's just revolutionary, really. And um, so, yeah, it's start me young. <laughs> That's the, it's fantastic. So, yeah. Mindful eating, um, to sort of just stay on that for a moment, the is, is it almost sort of an experiment of sorts? It's sort of trying something and really, really paying attention to what effect that has on on you. Being very mindful, aware of the things that you that you purchase, that you cook, and the kind of the effects that those have. Or is it is it sort of more about kind of in your body the effect that that has for you? Well, is it all yeah. those things? I, I think it's probably all those things. Yeah. I do think that you can definitely overthink things. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of mind over matter for for lots of the... It can be very applicable for that side of it. But for me, I suppose, mindful eating does definitely include thinking, where is my stuff... Where's my food being sourced? Um, whereas, yeah. I mean, and that's why I'm a huge advocate of local produce. Um, people often... Uh, I mean, I have lots of vegan friends um, and I try to... Uh, I keep quite a plant-based diet but um you know if i if i'm eating chicken that's from the local farm i mean that's that's wonderful <laughs> if, if it's all organic that's that's fine i the idea of cutting something out because of that is just it's not it's not for me but um but so it's being mindful like that i my, on the one hand i i realize that uh maybe you being more plant-based is better for the environment. But on the other hand, I, I hate the idea that this will then um, have a huge impact on, say, the dairy industry and smaller producers and that kind of thing. So it's it's about getting a balance, I think. You, it, it can almost be a bit overwhelming, can't it? You sort of, if you start thinking down these oh, these kind of routes and you sort of, where do you where do you start? Well, that's, and that's the other thing I, about mindful eating is that it's, it's very, very easy, I think, to to fall into a kind of rabbit hole of panicking about what you're putting into your body and how, you know, counting calories and worrying about, you know, good fat versus bad fat versus, you know, oh, but it's saturated fat from an avocado, you know, good saturated fat, that kind of thing. And then just, you know, and denying yourself food that maybe you used to love before, like a piece of cake occasionally. And so that's why I always try and encourage it to be about balance. And at first, I when I started Cook First, it was very much focused on um, um, sort of food intolerances and that kind of thing and people who've chosen to remove certain things from their diet. But more and more, I want to, to promote this idea of it being something that, you know, it should be wholesome, wholesome food. And that's what is, you know, whether that whatever that is, whatever that means for you, wholesome and nutritious, basically. Mm. And about balance. 
do you think maybe I mean you, you talked about uh, sort of fads or we, we've talked a bit about fads and health fads and food fads and those sorts of things do you think perhaps sort of mindful eating is a bit of a, an antidote to that kind of thing or you know just generally wholesome food whatever that means to you and eat you know not too much of do, do you think maybe it's it's kind of it's not that complicated you know it's yeah. it's sort of you, you can there's so much industry and so much oh. so much interest around it we're such victims of marketing yeah. you know everything so i think yeah absolutely and it's the, the obsessive labeling of everything as well and and then with government sort of the the traffic light um policy they have you know on all the um on foods so red or green I, I mean my grandpa used to have single cream on his weetabix instead of milk and he lived his 90s and was fit as anything and was and so I do think that, yeah, there, there is a lot of, but it's like anything, like health supplements, like doing too much exercise. I mean, you just, and it is very hard to achieve a balance. But again, I think that you just need to not put too much pressure on it. I think that's what I also try and encourage people as well, is see food as a way of, you know, as a way of sharing, as a way of sharing experiences, as a way of you know, showing love, as, of bringing people together. It seems Rather like that's, than... that's a sort of an important thing to you generally. I mean, I've, yeah. I've read, a, read a few things that you've written and sort of in, in the, particularly on kind of, you know, the 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 vision, the, the kind of philosophy of, of Cook First. But, um, but you know, kind of blog pieces as well, it's, it seems like it's quite a, um, an important aspect of food to you, the social aspect of food. And I just, is that, I mean, you've, you've said a few things actually, well, you know, about the, the sort of the family you know, background of that for you and sort of, I guess, where that comes from is, do you, do you find that a lot of the people that, um, that come to you that sort of don't have cooking skills, maybe that haven't, maybe food hasn't had that role in their life? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, a lot of people never sat down with their parents to have supper. I mean, that is a, yeah, it makes a huge impact if you don't, um, yeah, or at least once a week, if you just have lunch with your children or that kind of thing, I think um, can definitely have an effect. Mm. Um, an interesting, um, interesting example of of well, food sharing and the the impact that it has. I, I um, said I was staying in Golders Green, and I have um, lots of Jewish friends that live there. I was staying with a Jewish family friends of ours, and the Jewish culture of of food is absolutely. I mean, it's wonderful. I can't I can't get enough of this this sense of community that it builds and um, and how in, in all their teachings there's so much about being hospitable through food. Um, and when I was at university, actually, um, we would go for Sabbath dinner because once a week they, they have their family dinner on their, on the Sabbath. That's also very interesting. I mean, all the, the friends that I have who were brought up like that are all very solid, well put together, confident people. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it has an impact as well. But so this this wonderful uh, mother of a friend of mine um, basically fed us all through university. So we look forward to going there so oh, much yeah. on the weekends. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's so that that sense of nurturing and um, and also because so much can, I mean, can be achieved through through you know conversation on over the dinner table and another thing i try and encourage parents to do if they have the time and of course it's completely um you know unique to each uh, family but um but cooking with your children as well as i think is so important and can be so um 
so useful to them in later life, even if it's just teaching them about, I don't know, simple maths or um, good and bad sugars or just something to do together. I mean, it's a lovely activity. And also because what's so nice about things like, well, any kind of cooking, but especially things like baking, is that you see a tangible result, you know, quickly. And so there's a real sense of achievement there. And I think that's also can be so wonderful for, for children. I mean, what a wonderful endorsement and, you know, such great encouragement for them. If, if somebody, you know, if you're teaching somebody who doesn't have cooking skills, do you, I imagine quite a lot of people... A lot of people in that situation would feel find cooking sort of like a chore, like a difficult. How do you think of it in those kind of terms? I mean, do you do you sort of suggest they cook for other people as quickly as soon as possible, or just just kind of is is that a way of of making it more fun? I I don't know. You know, if if you're just cooking for yourself, you know, for example, that's then it it sort of I think it's quite easy for that to feel like a chore. Absolutely. But, and again, it just depends on the, the person and their, the context, because some people um, actively want to cook for themselves because they want to know, manage their diets or whatever. And other people want to impress friends or loved ones. And so they're really, really um, driven to <laughs> to be able to cook up a dinner party. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then again, um, you also don't want to intimidate people or freak them out too early on. And sometimes, I mean, and, and cooking for crowds is is definitely a challenge. And and that's why things like roasts are, can be so, so difficult as well, because it's all about timing. People often are really freaked out by baking as well, because they think that it's just, you know, a whole different science, people often say. But then I think it just, again, it depends what you are baking. There are, I mean, brownies versus, I don't know, macaron it's very different <laughs> i suppose it's that thing of uh, you know it being quite hands off you have to sort of s- step away from it and yeah. then almost wait to see what comes out you know yeah. <laughs> there's if, if you're cooking something in a on the hob you 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 sort of could be adjusting you can be kind of doing things as you go perhaps maybe, maybe that's part of it but it's also very interesting work because different people have different ways of um well of cooking of course but i mean respond to different methods so whereas lots of friends of mine love jamie oliver because he's a bit you know throw a bit of this in throw a bit of that and it's very kind of um i don't know it's it's very accessible for lots of people um but whereas i find it I much prefer sort of a good old Delia Smith recipe, which is kind of if you follow to the letter, it will be absolutely fine. You know, you're kind of guaranteed it to be. Mm. There's no, but again, it depends what you're making. But um, yeah, some people, it just yeah, it just it just depends really. I thought I might ask you a couple of more slightly more general questions. Sure. Just uh, um, and like you, you've listened to the show, you know, I, I tend to do this kind of towards the end of, towards the end of these conversations. I just ask a few, few more general things. And I thought I'd ask you, um, I thought I'd like to ask you who inspires you in the industry. So within food, I mean, within however you want to interpret that, if I say success in food generally, is that, mm-hmm. does somebody particularly spring to mind for you? I do. I know I just mentioned her, but I do, I do love Delia Smith. I think she's so underrated and she is the, all her recipes, they are, they always work, you know, and, and she actually, she did a whole series on um, frugal foods and things like that. And then um, teaching people how to cook very basic recipes. Um, And uh, I know she's not sort of as glamorous as maybe a Nigella or whatever, but um, I, I, yeah, she's, she's the sort of comfort person. I don't know it's, yeah, I, I like. I think she's very inspirational, but just because how she's just had the, mo- I mean, such a long career as well. 
it was yeah, Delia Smith's yeah. book in our kitchen when we were when we were small. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then in terms of people that have done, um, I'm a huge admirer of anyone, any chef that does anything to do with, um, or I mean, educating the, the public on, you know, what, for example, Jamie Oliver, all the, everything he's done with the, the sugar campaign or anti-sugar campaigning, I should say. Mm. Um, and then Bultura um, at the Rosario Felix, these kind of, working with the homeless. I mean, it's just, these, that's very inspirational. And then people like Raymond Blanc who, who do a mixture of everything, but also, you know, he really, he grew so brilliantly from, from really nothing. And that's, again, I think really inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, another sort of fairly big question but what does what does doing good through food mean to you that's a very that's a good question there's definitely no right answer to that because this I mean this whole podcast is sort of about you know the the many many answers to the question but I mean does it does it kind of make you think of something particularly I think that if you can make any kind of difference to I mean positive difference to someone's life through food or through sharing food then that's that's doing good through food yeah. and no matter what difference that is or change and even if it's just something very small like I don't know a celebratory cake mm. <laughs> in that moment or you know a life changing you know a life altering moment I, I think yeah that's what it means to me I'll ask you one one more question yeah please um, what keeps you up at night <laughs> what keeps me up at night food waste really keeps me up at night <laughs> I've, uh, I'm actually becoming one of these people that people almost hate to go out for dinner with because if you leave anything on your plate I get very upset I could do the whole kind of why did you order it then I'm, I, yeah, I try really hard to like yeah, button it up but uh, yeah I people throwing things in the bin upsets mm. me when it doesn't need to be when you say it's a big kind of focus of what you're doing and yeah. the way you might take it as well so yeah. that's absolutely yeah. well, I think that's a great spot to leave it and thank you thank you very much for your time it's been it's been great thank you very much you. for having me thank you for the well, opportunity um, people listening where should they go and have a look at what you're doing where, where would you like them to oh um well my website is uh, cookfirst.co.uk um i also am quite active on instagram as well and that again is cookfirst so if you just google that it'll come up um i update my blog regularly but that's also on the website um so yeah that, that'd be great thank yeah, you brilliant. and I'll, I'll put all of the links in the show notes um so do go and have a look at them there's some really the blog blog pieces that I was looking through, there, you know, some very interesting stuff in there. So do Thanks. do go and have a look. Melia, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.